Easter Sunday. We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible says Jesus rose from the dead to defeat sin and death. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that one day when death comes to you, you will rise to new life forever with Christ. He defeated death. And often in churches, that's all we talk about. You better receive Jesus Christ as Lord, so when you die, you go to heaven. As if Jesus is just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Furthest thing from all the Scripture. To live forever with Jesus is a byproduct of faith in Him as Lord. But it's what happens in the next life. If it was what it was all about, then after we receive Jesus, we'd just go to heaven. But God doesn't take us to heaven. When people become followers of Jesus, God leaves us here. Because you see, this world's bound by its sin. And we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ that one day, I will. I will not be locked into a grave. I will go and be with Jesus forever. But I'm still here. And so are you. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus rose from the dead to help you and I overcome sin. To defeat sin. Here, now. Because sin caused such great pain. It causes pain inside of us, and it causes pain inside of others. And one of the greatest pains that come, come because we refuse to forgive. I hope you saw the first video, but if you didn't, you got a glimpse in the second video. The importance of being willing to forgive. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to defeat death. That's in the future. To defeat sin. That's right now. And this morning we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about finding freedom from our pain. In 2012, 2012, two Dallas Cowboy football players were involved in a single car accident. I tell you their story because they were from the Midwest. One of them grew up in Bloomington, Illinois. The other grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Jerry Brown was a passenger in the vehicle, and he was killed. Josh Brent was the driver of the vehicle. And he was charged with intoxication manslaughter. His blood alcohol content was twice the legal limit that was permitted in Texas. And he went to trial. Stacy Jackson, who is the mother of Jerry Brown, the passenger who was killed, took the witness stand. She said this. She said she has forgiven Josh Brent. She said this. He, talking about Josh Brent, 
He is still responsible. But you can't go on in life holding a grudge. We all make mistakes. Could you do that? If someone hurt your loved one, could you do that? How does a person come to the place that they're capable of forgiving someone who has hurt them? The Bible says this. Look at the screen. First book of the Bible. Fourth chapter in Genesis. Then the Lord said, Why are you angry? Why that scowl on your face? If you had done the right thing, you would be smiling. But because you have done evil, sin is crouching at your door. Last line. It wants to rule you. But you must overcome it. These words were spoken to a man who had a hurtful experience. In his hurtful experience, he became angry. And he did something he should not have done. His reaction like us was to react in the wrong way. And God is asking him, trying to make him aware that this is all taking place in his life. My prayer in this sermon is that every person here today would be confronted by God in their life if sin is crouching at your door and it wants to rule you. And maybe it has for some days, some weeks, some months, or some years. You must overcome it. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to the fourth chapter of Genesis. In just a little bit, we're going to look at that passage from verse 1 through verse 10. But before we do, Genesis, first book of your Bible, just open it there. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have the words up on the screen. But before you do, a pastor, Rick Warren, had a little boy come to him and said, Pastor Rick, when can I be advertised? Rick Warren tells a story. He says, advertised? What do you mean advertised? When can I be advertised? You know. Put under the water. Oh, you mean baptized. The little boy says, yeah, advertised. Now, I want you to think about that. If, if you have your worship handout, in a little bit there's a page for notes, and you might have that ready. I'm going to call attention there, fill in some blanks. But on the center section, top article talks about we're going to have a dunk party. That's what we do when we baptize. We just dunk people. Put them under the water. That's what the Bible teaches. Baptism is immersion, submersion, underneath. And so, I would invite you to be advertised. Because when I heard that, I thought, man, that's a great illustration. Because you see, baptism is what believers do. Some people get baptized when they're not a believer. I got baptized when I was 10. I went forward in a revival. Never talked to anybody about Jesus. Just went along because back then, you had revivals. Altar call, people went forward. Next thing I know, I'm baptized. Whenever I'm 
In my teens, I come to understand the message of Jesus Christ. I know where I was. I know that experience. I know what went through my mind. I remember grabbing that chair, trying to deny my sin. And that it was like that pastor or that person speaking was talking to me. And I told God, I'm sorry for my sins. I realize I'm a sinner. And I believe what I've heard about Jesus today is true. Now, I'd heard that for many years. I want Jesus to come to my life and be Lord. And it was a woman... An older woman, probably in her 40s, who said, Hey, are you going to be baptized, Mike? I said, What do you mean? I've been baptized Easter Sunday when I was 10 years old. I thought you became a believer just this past week. I did, and she took the time to explain to me. And she shared that what I did at 10, I did following a crowd. What I will do in being baptized, I'll do in following Jesus. And I was baptized then. You see, we are to advertise that we're followers of Jesus. That's what baptism is all about. It's not do I want to or don't I want to. If I am a follower of Jesus, then Jesus set the example. If I had time to take you into Scriptures, when He, when he came to the Jordan River, He came to John. And John recognized Him. He already said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's the Messiah. And John says, Jesus, you ought to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no. This is the right way. This is what the Father, God, wants to be done. Because Jesus set the example. So we ought to be baptized because Jesus was baptized and we're following Him. And then before He went back to heaven, He told His followers, He says, I want you to go out and tell people about me. And they become followers of me and then I want you to baptize them. And then I want you to teach them about me. A lot of people become followers of Jesus. They start learning things about Jesus and they don't ever get baptized. A lot of Christians... And so we ought to be baptized because we're advertising not only that we're doing what Jesus did, but that we're obeying His command. And then later in the New Testament when the Christians are explaining to Christians like you and I who never walked with Jesus, never talked with Jesus, they're saying baptism is what we do so that the world will know that we're identifying who our Lord is. We're advertising that Jesus is Lord. So I want you to know, in a couple weeks, we're going to have a dunk party. And you know what? You need to advertise. And so after the service today, you talk to me. Because it's time. Not because you feel like it. Because you know you are a follower of Jesus. But after you became a follower, you've never been baptized. And so I invite you to do that. Before we look into Genesis, would you just bow with me for prayer? Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for gee whiz. These people who make themselves available. There are so many other things they could do. It would be so much easier not to come to rehearsal. And yet these people make themselves available. Thank you for that. They blessed my heart. May, I, may, may what I say come across as meaningful as what I heard as we worshiped together earlier. Help us to see what it is you have to say to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to read chapter 4. 1 through 10, and then I want to come back and I want to look through it and let you see what happened to this man and why God confronted him with, you know, you got a problem. Man, it's right there at the door of your life. And if you don't pay attention to it, sin's going to take control of you. So, first verse, and I'm reading from the, the New Living Translation because it's easier to follow. And most folks don't carry Bibles today, and some of us are older and say, well, they should, but they don't. 
And so, if I read from the King James and even the New International Version, it wouldn't flow as easy. And so, I just do this. It's not the best study Bible, but it is the e- one of the easiest to read from. If I was going to get a study Bible, more current, I'd go with the English Standard Version Bible. Okay? Because with the Greek, it's, it's a lot more accuracy than the King James. King James, 400 years. We didn't even have most of the Greek manuscripts when the King James Bible was translated into English. Okay? Not opposed to it. Use it for years. So, look there on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Verse 2, Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Now, I'm going to just say this. We do not know if these are their first children. We assume that. I could tell you why we assume that in theological circles, but we don't know for certain. That's always an assumption. So we don't know if Cain, Abel, are their first children. That's what we assume. You need to be intellectually understanding that. You, you, mention some young, you, you meet some young person in the university, and, and they'll, they'll hit you with that, and you'll say, no, no, they're the first ones. And they know. See, because they look for all... The misunderstandings we have the Bible to try to disprove that you can't trust the Bible. Verse 2 goes on, when they grew up, Abel, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. In other words, they're different individuals. That's what you got to see here. They're different individuals. Okay? They make different choices in life. See, because we sometimes think God wants us all to be carbon copies. That'd be so wrong. This is a world of beauty, diversity. Okay? And so these are different individuals. Abel became a shepherd. Cain cultivated ground. He grew crops. Verse 3, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented... You ought to circle that word some. When you read this, it's important that you remember that word some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Now, let me stop. Because people who, who are preachers for many years often get in the pulpit and they say, you see, God wanted them to give an offering. There's no law of Moses. Moses doesn't even exist yet. There's no Old Testament law. God has not said, give me an offering. That we have recorded. Now, He walked, maybe He talked, hey, I'd like to give me an offering. But there's no Old Testament law at this point that they are to give an offering to God. This is all volunteer stuff. Okay? All volunteer stuff. And what it says is that Cain gave some. If we had time to, to look at the Hebrew understanding of that word some, it means that Cain gave some. In other words, he says, you know, God, I want you to understand, I thank you for serving me and making my garden grow. Catch that? I thank you for giving me a job to give me money so I can buy food from a table. Roof old man. He gave God some. In the Hebrew, it's indicating that he's saying, thank you God for serving me. In other words, for giving me this, because I needed this. Verse 4 says, Adam also brought a gift, and you ought to circle the best. Those two words. And when you read this, you need to see Abel and Adam. I mean, Abel and Cain. Cain some, we're told here, Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs of his flocks. Some, of, if, if, if you, some people get up and say, yeah, because that's what God wants, firstborn. There's no law of Moses that says, give the firstborn. Abel's doing this. He's looking at God. If it got into the Hebrew, when it says some, Abel's saying, you know, I want to give God one of these animals. 
Man, I want to give them a freshly newborn. Something special. I, I, see, if God said to you, I want one of the people in your family, you'd give them grandpa like me, see? You wouldn't give them the new baby. You catch, you catch the meaning? Okay? See, see, what Abel is saying is, God, you're a priority, and I want to give you something that's fresh, that has potential, that, that, that could benefit me greatly, instead of, hey, I want to give you this old one over here. He's wore out. You've got to catch this. If you don't, if you don't, you're, you're going to read this, and that's what we do. We read the Bible so quick, and, and we get all these, these, these theological things that are taught to us that don't even fit into the context of when it's written in the Bible. Cain just gave something to say, God, thank you for serving me. Abel gives God the best gift because he says, thank you, God, for loving me. Verse 4 goes on, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now, we are not told anywhere in the Bible why God didn't accept Cain's gift and why he accepted Abel's gift. But if you're understanding what I told you, you can get an idea that God knows each man's heart. Are you following with me? Remember what I said last week? Sometimes if I talk about tithing, some people say, I don't like to go to Connection because Mike Davis talks about tithing and all he wants is our money. And remember what I said because I said it rather fast. I tell you what, I don't want your tithe. I want you to come to Connection if you're here. But to show you where your heart is, you take your tithe and give it to the church down the street from you. And then you come here. Let God see that your heart is not saying the money's the issue. Because that's what it is. It's not because some Mike Davis says you ought to give your tithe. See, that's what we see here. The issue is not crops. The issue is not animals. There's no law of Moses says you give an animal. The issue is Abel is giving a priority to his gift because he knows the love of God and Cain is giving something because he wants to say, thank you God for serving me, providing for me. And so all we know is God accepts Abel and He doesn't accept Cain. No great understanding explanation. Verse 5 says, but he did not accept Cain's and his gift. That This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. In other words, Cain takes the wrong attitude. That's what we're being told. Okay, he doesn't like what God has done, takes the wrong attitude. Sometimes we don't like that. Something happens in our life, we say, why didn't God intercede? And we take the wrong attitude. Verse 6, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? And I'd recommend you underline all of verse 7 when you read this passage so that that some, the best, and verse 7 all helps explain this when you read it six months from now. Because you'll forget what I'm saying. But those words will jump out and that verse will jump out. Verse 7 says, you will, God speaking to Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. In other words, God is saying, you know what? Attitude's wrong. Change your attitude and things get better. That's all God is saying to him. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse, if you refuse, it's your choice. If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. In other words, wrong attitude always leads to major problem, more problems. Wrong attitude always leads to more problems. So I ask you, will you change your attitude? You know it. It's not the person, yeah, well, I hope the person sitting beside me hearing what Mike Davis is saying. No, it's, it's you. They've got to deal with God. You've got to deal with God. Verse 8 says, One day Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while we were in the field, 
Cain, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Verse 9, afterwards the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother, where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Now don't miss this. God says, hey, you've got a responsibility here in your life. Where's Abel? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Look at the question. Am I my brother's guardian? In other words, Cain wants to take no responsibility for his attitude toward someone else. It's not in my business. You hurt me? It's not in my business. I can, I, can, I can hate you. I can dislike you. I can just forgive you. See, Cain was refusing to take the responsibility. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Now, I'm going to tell you, if I had time, I could take Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan, and in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus says we are our fellow neighbor's guardians. Our good neighbors and our bad neighbors. My neighbor's trash keeps blowing in my yard. My neighbor's dog keeps doing what they shouldn't be doing in my yard. I am still my neighbor's guardian. See, Cain doesn't want to acknowledge that. And God wants him to realize you have a responsibility to others. Verse 10 says, but the Lord said, what have you done? Now, now, come on. God knows what He's done. God knows everything. What it is, is Cain doesn't know what he's doing. That's, that's like when Adam and Eve sin, and, and, and God comes to the garden to walk with them again. And they're hiding behind that bush or that tree over there. And God says, Adam, where are you? God doesn't know where they are. He knows everything. He's trying to get Adam to understand. He said, Adam, stop and think. Where are you? You see, every other day I came to the garden. Man, we walked together. Good time. Why are you behind that thing hiding? Where are you at right here, Adam? And that's what he's doing to Cain. He's saying, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What have you done? Cain, stop and think. And that's what I want you to do this morning. Stop and think. Think about the pain in your life, in your emotions, and the pain you allow to be in somebody else's emotions because of your wrong behavior. What have you done? Well, let's look at why Cain is so angry. Okay, now if you got your worship hand out, I'm going to try to go through this quick. There's a lot of blanks. Look at the first one. Cain had a hurtful experience. He brought an offering to the Lord. Lord didn't accept it. Abel brought an offering to the Lord. Lord accepted it. We don't know why. All we know is Cain got bothered by it. Because Cain got bothered for it, by it, he became hurt emotionally. Look at verse 5 again. If you got your Bible, look on the screen. It says, But he, God, did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. See, he got bothered because life didn't go the way he wanted it. He wanted God to accept his offering. It didn't happen that way. And so he is hurt emotionally. I just want to say this. Every one of us have had hurtful emotional experiences. Some of you have a father who left you. He may have stayed in the house, but he abandoned you. You may have had a father, he left you, and you never got to see much of him. Or you may have a father who lived in your house, but really, he didn't show you much favoritism. Or maybe someone touched you inappropriately. It happens. We deny it. It ha- it's happened so often. 
in American society. And you have emotionally been hurt. Someone has been disloyal to you. They have stopped loving you. They have betrayed your love. They went out and they did something that you can't believe they would do if they really loved you. And you've been hurt emotionally. Some of you at work or in your family, people have made decisions and it wasn't the decision you want, wanted and you have been hurt emotionally. See, I could go on and give you illustration after illustration. I'm just telling you, we all have been hurt emotionally. Something has happened to us and we've had a hurtful experience and it's natural to take it personal. It's natural to say, why did my father do that to me? Friday night in CR, we heard a testimony of a lady that couldn't understand why her father would always want to take his, the, her sister and not him. He would threaten he's going to pack up and leave and take the sister, but never take her. Years later, she found out she wasn't his daughter. The other sister was. And she said, now she can understand, but the emotional hurt was so deep. But she didn't know that when she was a kid, see? See, something happened, and you take it personal. We all do. I do. You do. But look at the next blank on your worship handout. Cain allowed this hurtful experience to become that three-letter word. Too. Too. T-O-O. Too personal in his mind. And this is the beginning of why we have inner problems in our life. This is where our pain begins, and this is where we start pushing pain into the lives of others. Something happens that we do not like, and we take it too. T-O-O, personal. We all have hurtful experiences. We know it's becoming a problem, and we take it too personal. Too personal. And that's what Cain did. Look at verse 6. Look on the screen. Look on your Bible. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? See, he's trying to get Cain to understand. You're really making this too personal, Cain. Too personal. That's what you're doing. I accepted Abel. I didn't accept your offering. That's not the end of life. Go out and enjoy the world I created. Come back and love me. I love you. No, I won't take it too personal. That happened that one day. One day is all of your life. Six months is all of your life. Married three years and your mate left you. That's all of your life. No! But when you make something personal, too personal, it is your life. And it consumes you. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Cain took this hurtful experience and he made it too personal. Now how do we know he made it too personal? Look on your worship handout to the next blank. We know we are taking something too personal when we develop an, what I call an epic story. I call it an epic because you know epic stories are those things we want to tell again and again and, and they are major. We see a, a show and The Gladiator with Russell Crowe is an epic story. Every time I, I see it's coming on TV, I want to watch it except I don't want to take all that time and watch it again. See? See, when we develop an epic story about the hurtful experience, we know we are taking something too personal. Dr. Fred Luskin calls it a grievance story. I don't like the word grievance because I think we make it a classic story, an epic story. But he calls it a grievance story. A grievance happens to us. And we know we've taken that hurt that happened too personal because we make this story. See, in Cain's mind, he told himself the epic story. He probably said something like this. I don't like Abel. We both gave offerings and God liked Abel's offering, not mine. Abel must have done something. He probably told God a lie. I don't like Abel. Why did God not take my offering? Why did He take Abel? I don't like Abel. 
Abel must have done something. This is not fair. Always in the epic story, you're going to hear, this is not fair. This is not fair. Now the Bible doesn't tell us that Cain had this epic story. But the Bible tells us what the result of epic stories do. And you see, what Cain did, Cain killed Abel. You think he just said, oh, God didn't like my offering and he liked Abel. Take a knife, cut his throat. Oh, he's telling himself, this is not fair. I work hard to raise these crops and God didn't take them. He works hard to raise those animals and God accepted it. This is not, Abel probably said something to God that I don't know about. This is not fair. I don't like Abel. And his epic story just kept being told again and again. He, whoever else, he probably went out and said, let me tell you an epic story. Because we like to share. You know you got an epic story because you tell who will listen. This isn't fair. Because you don't want them to like. I don't want you to like Abel either. See, this isn't fair. Abel must have done something. You know, God's a good God. He's a loving God. But he didn't accept my offer. Abel, so, Abel did something. I'm telling you, Abel's getting away. This is not fair. He needs to pay. And he kills him. He kills Abel. You've got to be careful. You tell yourself an epic story. And you say, yeah, but you don't understand, Mike. It happened to me. I know. But it hurt me. It wasn't fair to me. I know. But you see, you've taken it too personal. It's become an epic story. And it's creating a great deal of pain in you. And you push that pain into other people's lives. Often people who love you and often to the person who maybe hurt you. All those statements are true. It's not fair. It hurt me. It happened to me. But when you take it too personal, instead of getting on with life, now listen to me, you get locked in your epic story. And you know you're locked in it because epic stories are told again and again and again to people who would listen. Look at your worship handout. The next blank. God tried to get Cain's attention. Look at verse 7 on the screen or in your Bible. You'll be accepted. God's talking. See? God knows something's happening inside of Cain. Taking this too personal. He says you'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. In other words, God's trying to get Cain's attention. That's what He's trying to do here today. Maybe all of us aren't facing the epic story today, but many of us are. And God's trying to get your attention today. He's trying to get your attention. Just like He's trying to get Cain's attention. Cain, come on, do what's right. Let Abel off the hook. Cain, don't you see how your emotions are getting? Cain, you got to let this go. Cain, you got to not make this your life. Cain, you got a bad attitude. Cain, you ought to say, I'm sorry, God, for my bad attitude. And Abel, I want to tell you, I'm sorry for my bad attitude. See, he's trying to get Cain's attention. But Cain was going to let his bad attitude from his hurtful experience that he takes too personal, that he tells himself an epic story, Cain's going to let that dominate his life, that he's going to do something that he can never stop doing. He killed Abel. And some of us, we're locked into our epic story and we're doing something that until we do what's right, we'll never stop doing. And that is we refuse to forgive. We refuse to let go. 
And God's just trying to get Cain's attention. He wants him to let go. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. God wanted Cain to do what was right. That's all God wants Cain to do. God's not trying to control Cain. God knows what's good for Cain. I'm telling you, you want freedom from your pain. The only way you know is to get even with that person. That person all day, whatever. What you need to do is do what's right for you. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. Cain kept his too personal attitude and he did what was wrong. And how about you? Are you taking it too personal and doing what's wrong? If you've got your worship handout, look at the pattern for why you have a problem. Look at that on your worship handout. Number one. And I wrote this down. Here, here's always my hope with this. is not to keep you awake. I'll scream and holler and jump up and down and do that. I want you to take this with a filled in blanks. Look at the Scripture. Later this week, read it. Maybe tonight. Maybe three or four days this week. And I want you to think about the Scripture and I want you to look through this and I want you to let God speak to you. And this will become your relationship with God. Not Mike Davis' sermon. And so I want you to look there. The pattern for why you have a problem. This is it. Matter of fact, you can evaluate. People are always telling you epic stories. This is when they're taking something too personal and it's become a problem. One, something happens that hurts you. And that happens to every one of us. Sometimes we think nobody gets hurt like I got hurt. We all get hurt. Something happens that hurts you. Two, you take it too personal. Not personal. We all take it personal. You take it too personal. Number three, how do you know you take it too personal? You begin telling yourself maybe others an epic story about how unfair and wrong it is in your opinion. And you never let that person off the hook. You will never let that person off the hook. And you'll make sure, you'll try to convince other people not to let that person off the hook. And those who do, they don't understand your pain or they don't understand how bad what was done was. That's the pattern. If you're in that pattern then God is saying to you what He said to Cain. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to say, I want you to do the right thing. I know you're dejected. I know you've got a scowl on your face. I know you're hurt. I know you don't like what was happening. I know this has hurt you. But sin wants to control you. And you must choose. Make a choice to do the right thing. Look on the screen. I want to challenge you to let that thing, whatever it is, let it go. Now listen to me. I know you're not going to do that maybe today. I would hope some of you might. This is why this is a four-sermon series. In your worship handout, I, I got the titles of those sermons. Next week, I'll preach the second sermon. I, I can guarantee you, if you go the four sermons with me, you will feel the Holy Spirit's impact for you to let it go. Because we will tie it all in with the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are what changes us. Brings the transformation to us. Look again on the screen. Genesis 4. 6-7. See, God's trying to get your attention like He did Cain. Then the Lord said to you, why are you so angry? Why that scowl on your face? If you had done the right thing, you would be smiling. But because you have done evil, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to rule you. But you must overcome it. 
You must overcome it. You see, it's a choice. I could go into why I lived five, six years of rebellion. Started when I'm 13 to my dad. And it wasn't until I'm about 27 that I made amends and apologized to my dad. And, and whenever I approached him and apologized, he said, oh Mike, you weren't that bad. I said, come on dad, God has told me I need to tell you I'm sorry. And I can tell you what he did that hurt me. I remember the location in the house. I remember the incident. I was hurt. You see, you've been hurt. But you have a choice. I was just grateful, so grateful, that whenever I got in my 20s, some men were willing to approach me and spend time with me. And I didn't want to spend time with them. I don't need to talk to them. I don't need to tell people about my life. Because I wanted them to agree with me. But I knew the pain. I knew the pain of that rebellion. I knew the pain I had thrown on my mom's heart and my dad's heart. My family. I'm the baby of 12 living kids. They saw I didn't hide that rebellion whenever I got 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. It would become a fist. It would become you hypocrite. I didn't care if people heard it. I'm telling you, it was all wrong. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just telling you to hurt. I took it too personal. And God said to those men, you've got to make a choice. Will you do the right thing? That's why if this, if this sermon has any impact in your life, it's because it's had such impact in my life when I wrote it. So what do we do? We do what God said. Look on the screen. Colossians. And this is labeled on your worship handout so you can read it later this week. Colossians 3.12 It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves. In other words, you're a follower of Jesus. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, before you're going to get over your hurtful experience that you've taken too personal and be able to let that epic story go, you've got to follow Jesus. You've got to trust Him as Lord of your life. But you see, Colossians was written to people who were followers of Jesus. And Paul who wrote it is saying, since God has chose you to be His people. You see, because the Bible says no one can come to Christ unless God convicts them to come to Christ. And so God convicts us. He says, you're a sinner. You've done what's wrong. You need to repent. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if you haven't turned to Christ, then you need to do that today. You can do that right now. Just go to God and say, God, you know what? I just, I've been the God of my life. I've been the Lord of my life. I've been the boss. I've been living the way I want. Oh, sure, I've been going to church or, or I might play an instrument or, or I might teach the Bible. But you know what? I'm the boss. And the proof is, if I don't get along with people, I'm the boss. Ditch them. But I know Jesus died for me. I've heard that message. And I'm sorry for my sins. And I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And you can do that right now. God hears us wherever we are. But Paul's writing to people who have already claimed to be followers of Jesus. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must. You might think about it. No. You must clothe yourselves. You know, I got out of bed this morning and can you believe it? my wife didn't dress me? 
as good as she is. She's a bad woman. Now remember, bad means good in this day. Okay? Don't get me in trouble. Don't go out there and say, boy, that pastor said his wife's a bad woman. That means good in this day. See, you must close yourself. Most of us dress ourselves. So God is saying through Paul to the people of His day, you're followers of Jesus. You're God's people. You've got to decide to put something into your life. You've got to put something on. It's a choice you have to make. It's an action you have to take. Your parents can't take it for you. Your friends can't take it for you. You choose. So he says you must close yourself, look what he says, with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness. Gentleness will ease a lot of pain. And patience. If you look at those, where's peace, love, and joy? You see, all those phrases are relational phrases. Tender-hearted mercy, when I don't want to be tender-hearted. Kindness, when I don't want to be kind. Humility, when my pride says, but I was hurt and I have a right! Gentleness, when all I want to do is hit back. Patience, whenever I'm impatient. See, these are all necessary for peace in relationship. I have to read this constantly in my married life. See, because Laura's human and sometimes she hurts me. And if I don't practice these things, I begin to make it too personal. Tell a little, tell a, tell a little epic story and pretty soon think maybe I don't love her anymore. You know, people fall out of love. And God says, you know what you need to do? Be tenderhearted toward her. Show her a little mercy. Give her a little kindness. Be a little gentle. So what I do, she's, we're watching TV and I'm sitting in this chair and she's back there on the love seat. And I get up, go back to get on the love seat, butt up close to her, take a hold of her hand, pet her arm. I said, baby, are you ready for tonight? <laughs> and then we watch the movie and I fall asleep. <laughs> All relational words. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 are so important. Okay, verse 13 are so important. Look what he says. If you want that relationship, now remember, this is a person that's hurt you. Make allowances for each other's goodness. That's it. Thoughts. I didn't marry a perfect woman. She didn't marry a perfect man. We make allowances. We talk about it. We make allowances. And I don't live in a world with perfect people. I think connection is a church that shows great compassion and love. I really think we got a number of people to do that. I think some of you don't even identify with that. You just don't know to get off your bottom and get involved with the lives of others. But we got a lot of people who do. We do. Some of you just come to get, you don't know to give outside of your friends and your family. But we are to make allowances for faults. That's why people come to connection. We say, you know what? We're not thinking about your past. We're thinking about the potential of your future. Does it mean it's okay to do bad things? No. People are responsible for bad things? Yes. That man who drove that car, that killed that lady's son, she said he's responsible for his behavior. But she knew we make mistakes and you can't hold on to those hard feelings. And that's what connection is. And that bothers some people who don't understand it. They say, boy, they'll accept anybody. Yesterday I invited a lady who's living with a man who's been divorced to come to connection. I gave her one of our connect cards because on the back it's Tells what kind of people we want 
people who are struggling in life to be in connection. And she's struggling. Somebody says, but they shouldn't come until they get right. Listen, we all are struggling. He says, make allowances for each other's faults. Today you aren't so good. Tomorrow I'm not so good. Make allowances. These are Christians. Make allowances for each other's faults. Look what he says, and forgive. Forgive who? Anyone who offends you. Now, if you go to the Greek, go get a Greek dictionary and look up the word offend. In this location, it means those actions that upset you and cause you to want to quarrel. Hmm. Wow. Forgive anyone who, who upsets you and makes you want to quarrel with them. You see, you're going to choose to put on the clothes God wants you to put on when it comes to that person that has hurt you. And I'm going to tell you, if they're in the family of faith, you don't decide they're in the family of faith or not. They call Jesus Christ Lord. You are to forgive them when they have done something that upsets you and just makes you want to argue about it. And you know you've taken it too personal because you keep telling those sto- that epic story again and again and again. We are God's people. What can we do in a world that's used to telling epic stories and holding on? We grab Colossians 3, 12-13 and we start practicing it. If you want freedom from your pain, then let it go. Do you hear me? If you want freedom from your pain, then let it go in regard to mom or dad, aunt or uncle, the person at work, the person at school, your neighbor. Let it go. Look at the last blank on the worship handout. Just because something happened, look at that last blank, fill it in. Just because something happened that hurt you does not mean you have to continue. And that's a big word there. Continue letting that hurt have influence over your life. Let it go. It happened months ago. It happened years ago. It happened when you were a small child. It happened when that first marriage you had. And yet it's still impacting your life today. Don't continue letting it hurt you. You can say, I won't think about it anymore. You're lying. And you know you're lying because you see you have created your epic story and you keep saying, this is why my life doesn't go so smooth. This is why the bad things or the hard things that come to me come. Because. And you need to forgive. You need to let it go. Now, just a, just a few seconds, I'm going to ask everybody about their heads, but not yet. And I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you about some hurt. And then I'm going to ask you just to tell God, I forgive that person. I'm going to let it go. And the next time you see that person, look, you can't forget it. You know why? Satan will keep reminding you. People who Satan will use to influence you will remind you of what they did. And you need to say, I forgive again. I forgive them again. Every time it comes up, I forgive them. 
I forgive it. Because Satan's not going to let you forget it. And people who allow God, allow Satan to use them to influence you will keep telling you, but it's not fair. And you need to say, I forgive. I forgive. And they're going to say, how can you forgive? You're going to say, because God wants me to. And you may be the thing, the individual, the example God uses to help them overcome and find freedom from their pain. So I'd like everybody just bow your heads. I don't care whether you close your eyes, just think. Has God been speaking to you today? Has God been speaking to you today? What is it that God wants you to let go? Right now. You talk to God. You tell Him you are sorry that you have held on to it for so long. And you tell Him you forgive. You forgive that person. Thank God for His forgiveness to you. Tell Him you are willing to forgive the wrong done to you. Right now, you do that. Right now. Father, I thank You for the attention that's been given this morning. I thank You for the foundation of Your Word. I thank You that You don't hide our, our sinfulness from us in the Word, but You show us real people like us, people like Cain, people like me, and that God, You've not given up on us, but You give us answers to help us through this difficult world. And Father, I thank You that we don't have to be locked into the past but that You give us a new start in relationship with others. Father, we thank You for Jesus, for what He did on the cross, and for His raising from the dead, and for the victory we have one day over death, that we will live forever, but also that He helps us overcome the sin that confronts us at this time. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Now at this time, we're going to remember the forgiveness that Jesus brings to us through His death on the cross. The Bible said He shed His blood so that our sins could be forgiven. The Bible says He gave His body for us. He paid the price for us. And in just a little bit, we're going to remember that love of God by an action that Jesus told us every follower ought to do. And for some Christians, they haven't done it for years. And that action is what we call face down. Some churches call communion. Some churches call Lord's Supper. Some churches call it Eucharist if you come from a more formal church. A ritualistic church. We just call it face down because the ideal is, is that in a little bit we're going to take the bread and the juice and I want us all in our mind to just fall face down before God and recognize what He's done for us, and to thank Him for it. I'd like the servers to come to their position if they would. What we're going to do is we're going to take the bread and the juice and we explain how we do it here. The bread represents the body of Jesus. I didn't create that. That didn't come out of some denominational experience or some theological book that comes out of the Bible comes from the words of Jesus. Jesus took the bread that night. And He said, this represents My body which will be given for you. And then He took the juice. And He said, this juice represents a new covenant. The new covenant that God gives to you through My shed blood. 
So we're going to take bread. There's, a, there's three stations. One here, one there, one there. You can go to any one of these. Okay? Any one of these. And you just pull a piece of bread off. Don't take half a loaf. We've got other people behind you. You just pull off a good portion of bread. Dunk it in the juice. Eat it then or take it back to your seat. Whatever you feel comfortable with. But when you do, face down before God. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving Jesus for me. Let Him see what's going on up here. Then just go back and sit down. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to take part in this if you want. If for some reason at this time you do not think, I, I want to take the elements, it's okay, just remain seated. Watch the video though. And pay attention to what's happening. When you're ready to take the elements, if today's the day, then you come when you're ready.
If you don't mind, I'd appreciate you shut those doors for a little bit. We're not finished in here. Part two of the sermon, if you turn... No. <laughs> Let me just give you fair warning. It's that time of year when... Do we turn on the air conditioner or when don't we turn on the air conditioner? And uh, if it's left up to me, I would try to stay warm so I could sweat. And you'd say, wow, he's really into it, Okay. But, so, if I feel it get warm, like this morning, I went and asked, I think, four of our intelligent women how they felt. And they told me, and so, you know, one of them said, how do I feel? Turn on the air conditioner, Pastor. So I turned it on. No, 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 no. But I did ask. And uh, so, what I would say is, if you get cold easy, you probably want to bring a sweater or a jacket until we make that transition that the atmosphere is just like, because you'll be warm and then you'll feel that coldness come on. And I don't want you to be uncomfortable. And so that'll probably be happening more often. Okay, um, We got a question. Uh, on the sermon note page, it says, if you get a question during the sermon, because I really would like, you know, I preach, preachers preach, and you get a question you can never ask. And so we, we allow you to send that, and if there's time, we answer. And this is one that came in. Why did God... Not explain to Cain why his gift was rejected. I don't think God has to explain anything. Okay? I think once I think God has to explain, I've decided I'm the creator and he's the created. I'm the one he answers to. All I have to do is read the scriptures and he'll give me plenty of information. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy. I'm going to paraphrase it. But it says, God doesn't always tell us everything we want to know. But He tells us everything we need to know. You hear me? And our problem is, we like to ask the questions of Scriptures about what we want to know, and we won't do what we already know. And so, why did God not explain to Cain why his gift was rejected? And I didn't know this question was going 